Good morning. <clears throat> I think this is the second time I've been in this church for a worship service where I didn't wear a tie. And the other time I was preaching also. Man, is it hot. 1967. I was a young boy, six years old. My dad took me to my first Red Sox game in Fenway Park. I don't remember much about the game, but I do remember my dad going to get food for my older brother and I. The Red Sox were losing. When he came back, the Red Sox had rallied while he was gone and took the lead and won the game. I was hooked. I've been a Red Sox fan ever since. 1967 is called the, the impossible dream season. They, came, they actually got to the World Series, but in true Red Sox form, they lost. 1975, junior high school boy. The Red Sox are again in the World Series. I was still just 14 years old, so there was a bedtime I still had to meet because my parents were fairly strict. But I remember listening on the radio after I had to go to bed, hearing the heroics of Dwight Evans, Bernie Carbo, Carlton Fisk. The Red Sox in game seven lost again. But it was not their fault. It was a bad call on the umpire. It was a runner interference. It was not called. The Red Sox had the World Series stolen. 1978, I'm a junior in high school. Red Sox are 14 games behind the New York Yankees in August. With such an insurmountable lead, Reggie Jackson, the Hall of Famer for the New York Yankees, said their lead is so big, not even Secretariat can catch them. Well, not a more untruthful statement has ever been, ever been uttered. The Yankees rallied, came back, tied, tied the Red Sox at the end of the season. They had a one-game playoff in Fenway Park. And this unknown, irrelevant, weak-hitting shortstop by the name of Bucky Dent blooped a home run into the left field monster screen, and the Yankees went on to the World Series. I think that was, I used to say 1975 was the last time I cried. I think it was 1978, to be honest. But no worries, 1986, Red Sox finally make it to the World Series. Game six. I'm in the army. I'm, I still remember that. I, I mean, I, we're doing a, 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 a dance job. I was in the army band. And we're on a break, and I, I'm watching this game, and I see the Red Sox are winning. It's like the seventh inning. The Red Sox have a nice lead, and they bring Bucky, uh, Bill Buckner in for, for defensive relief. And a ground ball to Bill Buckner, and he forgot he wasn't playing baseball. He thought he was playing, playing croquet. The ball goes right between his legs. The Mets went on to win the World Series again. I knew it. 2003, many of you now are aware of what's going on with the Red Sox. Again, they're in the playoffs with the Yankees to get to the World Series. Another irrelevant, soft-hitting, weak, insignificant baseball player by the name of Aaron Boone hits a home run in the 11th inning off of Tim Wakefield in game seven. The Yankees went up to the World Series and my hopes are again dashed. Never again will I have any hope, any dreams for these Red Sox. They have crushed my hopes. I can't help but dwell on the past. 2004, the very next year. Again, the Red Sox, the Yankees. The American League Championship Series, we have a pitcher by the name of Kurt Schilling, who 
so specifically and rightly and justifiably referred to the New York Yankees as the evil empire. Such an appropriate term. Red Sox are losing, they're down by three games. Three games to none, no team's ever come back from a, a, a series deficit like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, so we're watching game four with my son and it's getting late. I don't have to go to bed because mom and dad are saying I have to go to bed because I'm old. <laughs> Durr. Starts, the Red Sox won on, the game started similarly, the, Red Sox, the Yankees are winning, and I said, forget this, I am going to bed, I don't need to sit up and watch the Red Sox lose again. I know how this ends. Red Sox lose, 19 to eight, which isn't as bad as they lost two days ago, 28 to five or something. Well, at least elimination will be quick. Three games, they're, they're done, game four, they're in the Yankee Stadium, and they actually, they're actually the Red Sox are winning, but so they win this game, no big deal. I'm going to bed. I have to get a fork in the morning. There's a purpose to the story. Game five, Red Sox are now losing. My son is watching, and I said, Drew, it's time to go to bed. I have to go to bed. But, Dad, they could get, Drew, you're so young, you don't know how this works. I know they're going to lose. They came back and won. They're now down three games to two. The next game, they actually came back and won the game. They actually had to leave the whole game. But I, I, I did not want to stay up because I didn't want to have my heart broken. Game seven, the Red Sox actually did come back and they clobbered the Yankees. I could not enjoy that series because I was dwelling on what was behind. I was dwelling on the past failures not looking forward to the victory. Paul in his passage <clears throat> is encouraging the readers to forget about their past failures. Forgetting what lies in the past and straining to what lies ahead. Many of us Red Sox fans my age could not do that at that time. A lot of athletic events, you have to forget what's in the past and what's happening now. You have to strive for the prize. Not many people know the name of Heather Dornadin. She's a collegiate runner at the University of Minnesota. In 2008, she's in the Big Ten Track and Field Championship running the 600-meter race. And I think we have a clip of this race that I think is really telling of, of what our Christian walk really looks like. Do we have the clip? The 600 meter underway, Heather Dornard in Minnesota finished second this event a year ago. She is in lane four. And Dornard is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200 meter track here at the field house. What a bold move by Fallon. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fondor moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornerton running second. 
Dornan last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten championship. So they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend. And she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the Bell Lab. Dornan falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dornan is flying down the back she stretch. Is she catching is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. Well, she's got fun. This is a gutsy effort by Dornan. Can't she pull it off? She's moving to third. Dornan coming down the stretch from the outside. Dornan coming out strong. Dornan all the way. Dornan. Yes. Yes. She did it. Wow. All right, be honest. Who would have quit? Who would have lied there and cried and got in the fetal position, sucked their thumb, and wanted their mommy or daddy to carry them off the, the track? Amen. Amen, sister. Too often, I feel we are like that in our spiritual walk. We know we are saved. We know we've been delivered from sin. But we turn back to that sin that has held us captive for so many years. Too often we think, how can God use me? Or am I truly saved? If, if I'm truly saved, why do I return, as I was reading Proverbs this week, like a dog to his vomit? Why do I go back? Yeah, we, we do go back. We do return to our sin. Whatever your sin is. Could be drugs, alcohol, gambling, promiscuity, doubt. Gluttony, slothfulness, gossip, worry. We all have something, and we all return. But we're not alone. We are not the only ones. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. Great story. Great story. Uh, I'll just read a little bit of it. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the, the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent in and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and came to him, and he lay with her. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now Uriah, as we read later on, Uriah is one of David's, he's called one of David's mighty men. So David knew Uriah. He was a friend. So what did David do? We found out Uriah, that she was pregnant. He called Uriah back with the idea, I'm, I'm going to talk about the war, and, and when he's home, he can go have relations with his wife, and he'll believe he's the father. Well, no, Uriah had too much character. If, my, if the men are in, in the tents, I'm not going to go with my wife. I'm going to stay in the gate. David didn't know what to do. He only had one option left to him in his, in his eyes. He sent Uriah back to the battle and told Joab, put him up in the front of the battle and pull out, pull away from him. So basically, have Uriah murdered. Even after this, David is referred to as, God, as a man after God's own heart. But Nathan confronted David. And David wrote one of the most beautiful psalms, I think. 
Psalm 51. I'm going to read that right now. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God, my salvation and my tongue will sing a lot of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth to declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, and you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David, in his horrific sin, turned to God, confessed, repented, and God forgave. And, God, and David continued to be used by God. Rape and murder. Is there anything worse? I know my sin is bad, but it's not David bad. But still sin. If God can, can, can forgive and redeem and restore David, he can do that for us. I want to share a few more stories. We all know the story of Peter, how he denied Jesus vehemently three times, so much so he ended up swearing that he didn't know Jesus. Jesus restored him and made him a powerful figure in the church. But even though he was one of the leaders of the church, he's, Paul tells in the letter of Galatians how he had to confront Peter in his sin still because he was afraid of James, the leader of the church. He, he was acting differently for fear of James. Not fear of God, but fear of James. But God restored Peter. About 10 years ago, I was volunteering at the rescue mission, and there was a young man named Donnie. Donnie's an interesting character. He was a father at the age of 14. He was partway through the program when I started volunteering, and he dropped out. Whenever the, the uh, Salvation Army dropped out, came back to the rescue mission, dropped out, back and forth, back and forth. I saw Donnie four, maybe five times attempt the rescue missions program. Each time, he failed miserably. That is until 2019. Last year at the graduation, I watched Donnie walk across the stage graduating, uh, completing the program. He failed 
over and over and over again. But Donnie was not looking at the failures that, lied that lay behind, but looking to the goal ahead. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That needs to be our motto. That needs to be our life theme. This past Friday night, Joshua Romero shared his testimony. Wow. What a testimony. What a profession of God's faithfulness and the perseverance of the saints. I won't get into many details. Joshua said he's an open book. He'll, he'll be glad to share it. I can't do it justice. But what I remember is there was a seven-month period due to some medical neglect. He was pretty lost mentally, psychologically. But God... God brought him back. It would have been easy for Josh to give up and say there is no God, or if, if there is a God, he doesn't love me. But, but God's faithfulness brought Josh back. And Josh was forgetting what lies behind, and he's straining forward to what lies ahead. He presses on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how you start the race, what happens in the middle of the race, how do you end the race? How do you finish? Paul goes on. What is it we press on to? But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even, even to subject all things to himself. Brothers and sisters, do not grow faint. Do not allow the evil one to tell you that you aren't good enough. Do not let the evil one tell you that you are too damaged and sinful for God to use. As we read in what I call the Saints Hall of Fame in, in Hebrews 11, we read a list of some very fatally flawed individuals. Abraham, the father of our faith, not once, but twice, is in a foreign land and says to the king, oh, Sarah, she's my sister. You can have her to protect himself. So what happens later on? Isaac, same thing. Oh, Rebecca, she's not my wife. She's my sister, like father, like son. Jacob, his name means deceitful one. How's that for a name? He was not a man of, of great character. List goes on. Moses didn't trust God. He struck the rock thinking he had the power to, to bring water. Gideon, so humble, became so proud. Samson, I don't know why that man is in the Hall of Fame. I've read his story. Not, I'm not impressed, but God used Samson for God's glory, his works and all. One thing that all these heroes of the faith had, and you and I have, the ability to repent and confess and be forgiven by, by God. Let's press on. 
forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. And what lies ahead is so glorious. Our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. A few verses before this passage, in verse 9, Paul says, And I found him not having a righteousness, I found it in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Our faith, our, righteous, our righteousness does not come from how good we are. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Our righteousness comes from our faith in Christ. The faith that's been given to us. The faith is a, our faith is a gift to us from God. We read in Romans, the righteous shall live by faith. And if we have that faith, we will respond in kind to God. We will strive to honor and be obedient to God. The righteousness that so many of us strive for is unattainable. No matter how hard we try to follow the law, we will continually fail. Trying to fulfill the law is like trying to hold 20 ping pong balls underwater with one hand. When one comes up, you go to it, you lose two more. You cannot, we cannot, live righteous lives, but we cannot dwell on the past. Christ is transforming us into his image. The righteousness that we are striving for is a righteousness of faith. When we, when we pursue our faith in Christ and Christ alone, our sinful desires will fade away, but they don't instantly disappear. Paul himself confesses at the beginning of this passage that even he has not attained perfection in this world. He tells us that he's continuing to press on. He knows that he's not there yet. He still struggles. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. There's a debate, there's a debate over whether Jesus, uh, Paul is talking about himself at his current position, or before he came to Christ. My conclusion, reading the whole passage, he's talking about I was, I was, I was, and in this verse he changes to present tense, I am. I am the foremost of all sinners. If Paul hasn't attained that righteousness that we all strive for, I don't think we can attain it ourselves in this lifetime either. But Paul gives a great tip on how to continue in your faith, how to strive for that perfection, that righteousness, by watching others who are daily continuing in their faith. He says to imitate him. What gall? Be imitators of me. If any pastor ever came up and said that, I'd be the first one out the door. He says, be imitators of me. We, ha we, we have a church full of faithful men and women I am humbled to serve with the, with the disciples in this church. I look at the elders that I have been blessed to serve alongside of, and I marvel at their faith. When you hear the struggles that so many have endured and yet persevere, we heard Bob, Bob uh, Tung's testimony a week ago. Josh is Friday night. Last, uh, two weeks ago we heard Bob. Last week we heard Doris. Oh, what a story of God's faithfulness and despair. I've been blessed to hear Tammy Delgado's 
testimony. Liz Tongue, Annette, Jake, the list goes on. These men and women have had, have had hardships that God has rescued them from even after they have professed in faith in Christ. Yet they continue on. They, they try to forget what lies in the past and strive for what lies ahead. None of, none of them have attained that yet. None of us will. But we are here to encourage one another. When I was in the, in the Army Band, I first had to do basic training. I went in one pound under the weight limit, not the low weight limit. I lost 40 pounds. The last week we had to do the, the PT test. It was a two-mile run, and I think it was like 13 minutes we had to do it, and whatever the time was. I, did, I, I ran the fastest of my life that day. But there was young, one young man who was struggling. And as I'm there gasping for breath, I look at these guys who were the best athletes in the company, all getting up off the bleachers, off the sides of the track, and running alongside of him, encouraging him on. Those of us who were too weak and tired stood applauding, encouraging him. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're here to do. We're here to press on and to encourage others in their journey. Is if we, if we see someone st stumble and fall, let's not backbite and gossip. Let's come up alongside of them, encourage them. See, be imitators of me as I try to imitate Christ. And if we're struggling, look around. Look at the elders. Talk to any of the elders. They will tell you their hardships, their struggles. But they will also to tell you that they forget what lies behind and strain for what lies ahead. Because what lies ahead is glorious. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who was, forgives, who loves. You cannot love more and you will not love less. Father, you, regardless of how often we turn to our sin, you are eager and quick to forgive and to encourage. Help us to turn to you in our weakness. Help us turn to others and ask for encouragement. And help us who are more mature in the faith to come alongside the younger ones, to encourage them. Father, you are faithful in all things. And help us to press on to, know the, to grab the prize. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.